being the attorney, being the office manager, being the marketing lead, being the website guy, being the um, ad guy, <laughs> creating my own materials, um, of course, dealing with the clients. That was the part that it's it's underestimated when open new business, how many hats you're wearing. Because when you're the employee, you're focusing on doing your job. When you're the owner and the boss, it's every job. <laughs> Welcome to the Technology Equals Equality podcast. I'm your host, Lori Brooks, and this is episode 98, If You're Driving Too Fast, with attorney Cephas Richard III. Hey, Techie community, welcome back, and thank you so much for joining me here for episode 98, If You're Driving Too Fast. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to subscribe, like, and share. This week, I had the opportunity to chat with attorney Cephas Richard III. Attorney Richard owns a Dallas, Texas law firm specializing in personal injury, criminal defense, and sports law. Attorney Richard is licensed to practice law in Arkansas, Missouri, and Texas, and is also a certified NFL contract advisor. Attorney Richard is a member of Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity and remains a board member of the Northwest Arkansas Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Council, where they primarily award scholarships to deserving high school and college students who share Dr. King's spirit of community building. As a young man, Cephas had big plans to serve as President of the United States. With an election lost, he refocused his energy on obtaining the legal degree he was studying to achieve. Finding his passion as a trial attorney who enjoys mixing in a bit of hip-hop, Cephas is now representing residents in three states. Listen in as Cephas and I discuss moving forward through the pivots, driving too fast, and a bit of in-the-box marketing. Cephas, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Certainly. So I am super excited to dive into your practice and hear the story of how you became an attorney. But before we do, we want to rewind the clock just a bit. Let's go back to the days of junior high, high school, and think about a time when an aunt or an uncle would ask you what it is you wanted to be in the future. What did you think the future would look like for you? Sure. I always thought I would go into politics. Um, growing up, we lived in a rural area outside of Pine Bluff, Arkansas, with one television that stayed on the Cosby show or sports or the news. And so I entertained myself with Legos and encyclopedias. And reading the various encyclopedias, I read about all the presidents and how they had all went to law school, or at least most of them. And so I had always told my parents and relatives that I was going to be president when I grew up. And so certainly ninth grade, I ran for class president. One in 10th grade, I ran again for 11th and ran for student body president in 12th and kept winning those. And it was a passion. And of course, an undergrad ran for um, club and class officers in there. And so that was what I always thought I would be and do. But of course, God does always have a plan that lines with ours. It's his plan. 
Definitely, definitely. Though fans change, life ebbs and flows. There are hiccups and pivots that come about at all times. So you really thought you were going to become president. You were planning on politics. So let's talk about what happened. What was the pivot that occurred for you that took you out of the the idea or the arena of politics being your future? Sure, I lost. <laughs> <laughs> that that uh, immediate. But certainly the process itself and the aftermath was really what kind of got it out of my system. Uh, I enjoyed the process of running. I was in law school because I had, of course, told my parents that I wanted to go to law school and uh, be into politics. But of course, you can't go straight from high school to law school. So you have to go through undergrad. And so I had majored in engineering in undergrad and went to law school. And my last year of law school, I ran for state representative in Arkansas. And I ran against the incumbent who had also been a graduate of our law school and was a professor at the University of Arkansas at the time. And I was a third year law student and a Pizza Hut delivery driver. And I would place campaign literature in with the delivery orders while I would ride around delivering and listening to lectures for my um, classes to study while I'm out working and campaigning and kind of doing all those at once. We had volunteers, we knocked on doors, we had TV commercial, we had a debate. Um, it was a full-fledged campaign, a fun process, but uh, like I said, I did lose. And for that night, I took it bad because I was sad, okay. but certain actions my fellow um, politicians who had won, I kept in touch with them following the results and learned that as a fresh congressperson, you don't have the power that the layperson thinks you have, where you can just immediately go in and make change. You almost have to agree or side with or sign off on some things you may not necessarily agree with or may not be good for your district in order to get the more senior um, legislators to listen to your idea, not necessarily vote for your bill, but just to listen to you and give you an audience. And so that was part of it that got it out of my system is not wanting to deal with the politics of politics. <laughs> and so I was over it. I don't have any regrets about it. It was fun. A learning process, but um, got over it um, very quickly. You were in law school. You had your engineering undergrad that you were working towards. You decided to go ahead and, and make a run, but the election didn't go necessarily as planned, despite the fact that you had some really ingenious ways that you were marketing yourself. <laughs> I love the pizza box idea. I know you definitely would have had my vote had I received a pizza with your marketing materials inside. It would have been like, this guy rocks. That's hilarious. He's got our vote. <laughs> so no, I love that. Life happens. The election, the outcome was not what you anticipated. You recognized clearly that not only was the outcome not what you anticipated, but the career itself in politics itself was not realistically what you were looking forward to. So you happily set that aside. What happened next for you? What what were the next steps once you decided, okay, no longer am I going into politics? How did you make that decision between engineering and, and law? Sure. And so, of course, I had my engineering degree and had worked as an engineer at Federal Express for about a year and a half, two years 
leading up to law school. So that was an opportunity cost in itself to set that salary aside in order to be a law student. And I went through summer school while in law school just to kind of shorten that time away from receiving that salary. So it took about two and a half years. The election was November, final exams, December, and that's it for me. I didn't have to go through the spring semester because of summer school. And so as soon as the election was over, it's time to switch gears back to full-time law student. It's time to pass these classes and get my law degree. And so certainly that was the, the swivel or the pivot at that point is to focus back on the task at hand. Looking at what my background was, I was taking patent courses, trademark courses, sports and entertainment law courses, um, was president of the Sports and Entertainment Law Society and bringing in speakers and taking trips to hear different speakers and expected that whole patent and trademark area to be my practice area. But I had also been taking a trial advocacy class. And so what I learned while doing law school and the trial advocacy is that that's the fun part. That's an adrenaline rush in itself when you're having to prepare um, opening statements, closing statements, cross-examination, that's fun. It's like the TV lawyers. And so that part was exciting as opposed to sitting in a cubicle like I had been as an engineer and what the expectation was as a patent lawyer. And so I decided I would apply for a job with this group out of Missouri that advertised at my law school immediate trial experience. And so I applied to that. I applied to some district attorney jobs and some uh, public defender jobs. And so as far as a combination of not having to relocate my family and have my wife have to leave her job, the best combination of distance and salary was me taking the opportunity over in Missouri. And so um, the good part was they didn't lie about immediate trial experience. I got it immediately. I was the third attorney in a two-person firm that expanded to about eight attorneys in three different locations by the time I left. But of course, I learned um, everything I knew about how to be a lawyer from that firm. And so it was an excellent experience. Glad I listened to my wife on that one because I was gung-ho about starting my own firm. You know, I was going to be a legislator that had my own firm, <laughs> had taken a course in starting your own law practice. I had convinced one of the deans to allow me to take a marketing course on the, from the business building as an elective in law school because I was going to need that marketing course to market my firm. And mm -hmm. so that was my plan. And like I said, sometimes your plan may not be his plan. And so I think it was a wise decision to go to a firm and actually learn how to practice. And one of the things that we don't really learn in law school that you only learn by practicing is the counseling part. When they sometimes refer to an attorney as a counselor, that is not an understatement. A lot of times you are a counselor. You're not necessarily saying let's sue them as the end all be all to every dispute or situation. Sometimes they just need a counselor to talk them down. And that's what it becomes. Sometimes you talk them out of even needing a lawyer, which is sometimes the best advice for someone, because it's not only going to be a headache for you, but not in their best interest. And so that's one of the biggest things I learned from 
taking that position over in Missouri, as well as how to actually manage a practice and the marketing aspect, because as the low guy on the totem pole there, whether it was a chore or a privilege, I was the guy that met with all the website people, the phone book marketing ad people, billboard people, any of those type things. I was the attorney that met with those different vendors and kind of report back to the partners and help make the decision on those. And so I was able to learn that aspect of it, as well as just how to actually practice law and um, be nice to all of the staff in the courts, because, of course, those are the people who can make or break you if you make a mistake. <laughs> and so it, that was probably one of the better decisions that I've made in my career is to go learn first. Definitely. Um, I think that is one of the best pieces because I don't think we've realistically pulled that out or talked about that aspect here on the show. We do talk about, you know, the entrepreneurial journey, but we don't talk about the pre-journey necessarily. The journey in which realistically learning your place as an entrepreneur, where you're learning about the role that you're eventually planning to take on. Um, you know, it's important to find that opportunity for a mentorship space or a learning environment to help yourself so that you're prepared for when you launch your practice. You know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs, myself included, who either out of desire or blatant necessity, jump into our entrepreneurial journey without the opportunity for someone to to um, discuss, explain, describe, or, or provide that experiential opportunity. But when that opportunity does present itself and it's available, it is a wise decision to take someone up on that opportunity to be able to get that experience and that understanding under your belt prior to going into your own practice and having a lot of trial and error, which can end up being a rather expensive uh, piece of a startup business. So what do you feel were some of the biggest hiccups that you experienced as you did decide, okay, it's time for me to move forward. I've had the um, experience with this other practice. I've gained this history here. What were some of the first steps you took when it came time to open your own practice? And what were some of the, the biggest hiccups that you experienced there? Sure. Being the attorney, being the office manager, being the marketing lead, being the website guy, being the um, ad guy, <laughs> creating my own materials, um, of course, dealing with the clients. That was the part that it's it's underestimated when opening a new business, how many hats you're wearing. Because when you're the employee, you're focusing on doing your job. When you're the owner and the boss, it's every job. <laughs> and so not only do you need to know how to do your job, you need to know how to do everyone's job beneath you, not necessarily beneath you, but your your staff, because what if they call in sick? What if they make a mistake? What if, what if, what if? Everything falls back on you. And so that's one of the things to um, certainly be prepared and mindful of. Luckily, I was able to gain a lot of that experience with that first firm because I was assigned my own staff as an attorney at my first firm where I had that opportunity to manage a legal assistant and receptionist, so to speak, where we're able to delegate and learn. I, yeah, I know how to do everything, but it's more efficient if 
someone else does this part of it. And I actually delegate and manage a little bit better. And so that was one of the biggest hiccups is just learning that delegation. Because when you know how to do it, you almost just want to go do it. I know what I want. I know how I want it done. I'll just go do it. And call one of the legal assistants one day saying, why are you at the fax machine? (laughs) I've never seen an attorney at a fax machine. (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah. I understand. I I do. I do. It's sometimes it is easier to just kind of take care of things, especially when you have that foresight and the knowledge. But at the same time, you have to think about the future and and the inability to always be every single one of the hats that you do have to wear as you start your practice. Um, Delegation is the only way to truly scale a practice, whether you're delegating to electronics you know, tools, or whether you're delegating to other humans. Delegation is truly the only way that you're capable of scaling any practice. So it's important to recognize that and, you know, begin uh, planning for that in the future of of any particular practice. But Cephas, we'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your practice and handlemytickets.com. Sure. And so we're based primarily in Dallas, Texas, and we handle traffic tickets, we lift warrants, we handle car wreck cases and criminal defense. We also do sports entertainment. I would like to do a little more of the sports and entertainment portion of it because that's a little more fun, so to speak. Um, I'm a licensed NFL agent. And so what we do is if someone has a warrant or a traffic ticket, then what we can do is lift that warrant for what's called Class C misdemeanors here and represent them in court to try to get it dismissed or reduce a fine to keep it off their record type of thing. Certainly car wreck cases, we handle those. If someone is injured in a car wreck, we're able to represent them to help get recovery for them and their family. And that was the type of practice that I worked for when I first got out of law school. So that's actually what I'm probably best at is a trial attorney for personal injury cases, because that's what I did the first nine years of my practice, um, working um, for another firm of trial attorneys. And so as far as the sports and entertainment side of it, um, certainly I've heard that you should spend your time percentage-wise on the things that make you the most money. (laughs) And so that's been a struggle for me because the fun stuff isn't necessarily the stuff that makes me the most money. And so um, I try to incorporate some of that fun stuff into my daily. But um, for example, a couple of weeks ago, there was an artist on Instagram that wanted a contract reviewed for a lease where he was trying to buy a venue or at least the venue, and it was 30 pages, and he needed someone to review it and kind of put it into layman's terms. So that's something where he was able to email it over. I read it and put out into the margins, redline it, and put the important points into layman's terms for him and kind of pulled out the things that um, would be important to him. And so that was something he needed a quick turnaround on that night and was able to do that form. And so I would like to do more of that type of stuff, but certainly um, all of those is what we do. Nice. I love it. So you have a full service 
trial attorney practice. Um, law practice is, is truly what you're doing. But there is a focus on major or minor traffic offenses to a certain degree. Yes? True. Awesome. What other passions have you had the opportunity to work into your practice? I mean, no one wants to hear about a lawyer that raps. And so certainly that's not something that we broadcast or advertise on anything. But certainly as a youth going through undergrad, through just forever, really just being a fan of rap music and having friends that release albums and relatives, it's something that I've been featured on some of their projects. And in exchange, I can use their beats for some of my marketing materials and like the handle my tickets commercial the cartoon um, that's one that I did where that's me doing the jingle I wrote that and of course um, um, did the verse on there <laughs> so that's some of the things where it's not necessarily something that I would say hey I'm gonna be a rapper but definitely something that has been a passion as a youth just listening to music and so I was able to incorporate that into marketing by making a jingle and putting that in the background. Um, video editing and doing websites are other things that I grew up doing in undergrad. And so that's something that I also eliminated that overhead in my practice because I enjoy editing videos and that sort of thing. And so I do that as well. And so those are some of the other things that I do or like to do on the side that I was able to incorporate into my practice and it actually um, saved on overhead. So win-win. I was just going to say, anytime you can fulfill a passion and reduce overhead, yeah, that's a winning <laughs> game. <laughs> that's a winner all the way. 100%. I love it. You took what you absolutely adored doing. And even with a practice such as law, you found a way to incorporate it and really use that skill and still put your passion to work in your practice, even though they are two completely different worlds. I love that you I love that you put those two together. I absolutely do. And audience, I will be sure to include a link to that commercial on the show notes page. It is absolutely adorable. So you guys have to definitely check that out. Sivas, I I really enjoyed that commercial, but I would love to kind of look a couple of years back again. We're gonna go ahead and, and just rewind the clock. If you could go back, say, to December of 2019. Or even, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And tell yourself just one thing. What do you think that one thing would be? Sure. I mean, it's difficult just from the perspective of I see everything as kind of a learning experience and not really a setback, but more of a setup type thing. But certainly, if we had to be real about it, um, I would tell myself, hey, be prepared in case there's a pandemic that comes along in 2020 because that was something that was unexpected. Um, but something a little less specific would be as far as keeping better track of all the people I've encountered over the years. I've met amazing people through personal, professional interactions, and I haven't done as good a job as I would like of keeping up with those people as far as people that I might be able to help or people that may be able to help me, because that's what I think it's all about is making this place better by helping one another. And so um, keeping a better Rolodex system over the years is something that I would have started doing a lot better early on, and it probably would be a lot more beneficial today. 
keeping up with the contacts. Your network is your net worth. So it's important to make sure that you are capable of reaching back out to those in your network. Not necessarily that your network is what you're worth, but it's the network that you keep around you that helps you propel your practice forward. And if you don't have a way to keep track of those people, it's less likely you're going to have the ability to reach back out and build those relationships. I remember I, I used to have a very similar issue because I, you know, you collect a business card and it may disappear somewhere in the bottom of my purse. A lot of things disappear in the bottom of my purse. So I understand completely. And the way I went about solving that was actually using an app called CamCard. An audience, I will be sure to include a link to this app in the show notes page. CamCard allows for you to just kind of snap a quick picture of a business card. It digitizes it and adds all of the contact info directly into your address book, either on your phone or you can maintain the information in the app as a whole separate Rolodex. And then you can map that into your client relationship management system so that you can go ahead and, and actually schedule follow-ups and things of that sort. Um, but I found that that app allowed for me to truly make full connections with people in a manner that I don't find that I'm capable of doing with social media. I use LinkedIn in tandem with CamCard to kind of, you know, keep tabs on the network and then follow through through social media. So I found that the app was one of the best things that I use to keep track of the entire network. So I'll definitely send you a link to that, Cephas. And, and again, I'll include a link on the show notes page. The show is really designed to help entrepreneurs come up with an idea for a business in an industry that they may not have been thinking of. And of course, as the only attorney that actually wraps that I know of, We'd love to help you. If you had the opportunity to wave a magic wand and change anything at all in your practice, what is it? What do you feel that would be and why? And how do you feel that might affect um, the legal game as a whole? Sure. So as a trial attorney, one of the things that's the ultimate unknown is what 12 strangers will do with a given set of facts when it's time to go to a jury trial. And so that magic wand would allow the attorney and the client to see what that outcome would be if we were to not resolve the case now, but instead take it all the way to trial. What would those 12 strangers do? And so it's almost like having that hindsight ability now where you're able to see what's going to happen with those 12 strangers, because who knows if they like one attorney over the other or one client over the other or they've experienced a similar situation that's an issue in the case, no idea how people decide how they're going to uh, vote on the case. And so that would be that magic wand that will give the ability to see what 12 strangers would do. And I think that would allow cases to resolve a lot easier because, of course, you know what's going to happen if you don't resolve it. Definitely. We, we need a true magic wand. Magic wand, crystal ball, something in order to see the future. <laughs> right. But I honestly, I, I love that you brought that up because I think that is a good challenge for, for the community. I feel like there is some way that someone might be able to build out an algorithm that randomizes um, outcomes for court cases. So taking into account the different types of people that would be involved, the different factors of the case, things of that sort. If there were a way to build out an algorithm that could randomize the outcome of any sort of 
pace would be rather impressive, rather impressive, but also a game changer, I think, for attorneys like yourself in order to allow the clients to recognize, well, this is realistically what it came out to be as we ran the software four, five, six times. This was the average of the outcomes. This is most likely what the the outcome of this this um, case would be. That would be pretty, pretty game changing for the legal world as a whole. So thank you for that idea. We'll definitely have the techie community get to work on that. Cephas, you have been outstanding. I truly appreciate you joining us and sharing your time and energy with the community. Please share the best way for our listeners to find you. Sure. If you're driving too fast and that's an officer, your pass, go to handlemytickets.com. HandleMyTickets.com. That's probably the best way. I have several websites, but that'll get you there. I love it. HandleMyTickets.com. We will be sure to include a link to your website through our show notes page as well. But Cephas, you have been outstanding. I truly enjoyed this conversation. All right. Thank you. Cephas, thank you again for sharing your time, energy, and wisdom with the community and techie community. If you're driving too fast and that's an officer that you pass, go to HandleMyTickets.com and reach out to Richard Cephas III, the wrapping trial attorney from Dallas, Texas. Or you can always reach him through our show notes page at technology-equality.com forward slash Richard Cephas. Thank you once again for joining me here for episode 98, If You're Driving Too Fast. If you're enjoying the show, Don't forget to subscribe, like, and share. And until our next episode, when we continue to hear the journey, find the pain, and create solutions, enjoy the week.